Hello and welcome back to the Come Follow Me Bible Challenge. My name is Jeremy Howard. I pastor Orchard Hills Bible Church down here in Payson, Utah. I say down here, but for you, maybe it's up here in Payson, Utah. Wherever you are, this that's where I am. <laughs> so thanks for joining me today as we continue to march through the New Testament looking at certain passages within the scheduled reading plans made by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Come Follow Me curriculum, which is the Sunday school curriculum, I believe, for adults in the LDS Church. And uh, today, that brings us to the section of Acts 6 through 9. Very interesting passage where so many things can be looked at. Um, I say that all the time. I mean, that's just always the case, isn't it? So much can be looked at all the time in all of these passages. But today, I want us to look at the conversion of Saul and the importance that we should place on his ministry. So I'm going to actually talk about something today that might be a little bit surprising or unprecedented. I want to talk about the importance of the Apostle Paul's ministry. Because as we go through the New Testament, what we have three more lessons in the book of Acts, I believe. As we go through the New Testament, we get through Acts, and in four weeks, we're going to be looking at the letters of Paul for quite some time. And the reaction that many people can have when studying Paul is saying something like, oh, Paul, you know, he he may have gotten some things a little off, so a little wrong, because after all, these aren't red letters, these are black letters in the New Testament, written by Paul. This isn't Jesus. So there's almost like a, a presupposition that you take Paul with a grain of salt. You don't really listen to him as having the same authority as the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I want to challenge that view. Maybe maybe you have that view subconsciously, and I want to push back against that and challenge it. And I would like for you to consider how it is you should go about reading Paul's letters as we get farther into the New Testament here. But let's begin by going to Acts chapter 7 and looking at the death of Stephen. Uh, All of Acts chapter 7 is basically Stephen's sermon. There's an intro and an outro to it, but the bulk of it is Stephen's sermon. Stephen is the first Christian martyr recorded in the Bible. He was a deacon in the early church, uh, or at least served like a deacon maybe wasn't the official office of deacon, but that's a whole separate conversation that definitely doesn't really matter right now. He was the first Christian martyr, and it's a long chapter, Acts chapter 7, and his sermon is recorded there. Well, let's go to the very end after his sermon and see what happens next as uh, he finishes preaching and is killed. Acts 7, verse 54. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. This is Stephen's Jewish audience who did not like his sermon. Verse 55. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. 
When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. He died. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. All right. So we've joined the narrative and have gone from Stephen's final words to his burial to what happens after that point. Well, Stephen here is the Christian in the narrative, and Saul is not. Saul is one of the unbelieving Jews who held everybody's jackets while they went to go kill Stephen. He was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death, and it says that even after Stephen died, he kept on ravaging the church. Saul, the Jew, who was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees, well studied in the law under Gamaliel. He was a student of him. He was very, very passionate religiously against God's church, against the Christian movement, and against, ultimately, of course, the gospel and Jesus Christ himself. So Saul here is pictured as the enemy of the church, one who ravages, uh, in which when you see that word, you can interpret kills, that's what persecution is, and imprisons those who preach Jesus Christ. That was Saul's position. Well, as the story goes on, uh, I actually am not going to look at this section verse by verse, uh, the beginning of chapter 9 of Acts. We've talked about it on here a couple of times before. I say we. I have talked about it a couple of times before on this program. Paul is, or Saul at that time, is continuing to ravage the church. He's on his way to Damascus to kill more Christians, and then suddenly he becomes one. Isn't that something? You're, you're just on your way to go kill some Christians, to throw them in jail, and then you say, hey, wait a second, I am one. How does that happen? Well, Jesus met him on the road. Jesus appeared to him. He fell off his horse. He was blinded, and he heard audibly words from Jesus. There are three accounts of this in the book of Acts, Paul telling the story three different times, uh, telling it with different details each time, for his audience, not because he was changing the story, but because uh, every time we tell a story, we tell it a little bit differently, don't we? And so we put those three stories together and say, okay, wow, that was a pretty amazing encounter that he had. And it was so amazing that what happened was that God converted him as the Lord appeared to him, Jesus, the man who is God, he saved him. He caused him to be born again to a living hope. And from that moment on, Paul was not only a Christian, but a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, a slave of Jesus 
who functioned as an apostle, who would go on, of course, to write Scripture, but he was a missionary, planting many churches, suffering many things for the name of Jesus, and he has a life that is well worth studying. But at this time uh, in his life where he first meets Jesus, he is blind, like I mentioned. He's knocked off his horse, he's blinded, the men around him are confused, and he ends up going to a man's uh, house, a man named uh, Judas, I believe, in the story. And then there's another man who is sent to interact with him, a man named Ananias. And so Paul there is sitting at this house, he's fasting, he's praying, and Ananias is sent by Jesus. The Lord speaks audibly to him as well and says, hey, go talk to Saul. Um, I'm getting ready to show him many more things. I'm going to tell him what he's going to do for my namesake. So Ananias is commissioned to go do that, and I want to jump into the middle of that part of the narrative where Ananias is sent by the Lord. It says in Acts 9, verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, Go, for he, Saul, is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he got up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound to the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Pretty cool story, huh, so far, that this man, Saul, would be a chosen instrument, chosen by Jesus to be an instrument in Jesus's hand. Jesus promised in the Gospels, Matthew 16, that he would build his church. That's a promise. And it was future tense. It was something that was going to happen after his death, resurrection, and ascension. Well, he has begun to build his church here in the book of Acts. We looked already at the Pentecost event, what happened then. He's kicked off the church age, and he's building his church. And Saul, now the apostle Paul, is a chosen instrument in Jesus's hand in building this church. He used to be, by nature, a destroyer of the church, a ravager of the church, a persecutor of the church. But now, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's an instrument in building the church. That is just incredible. So before, in his natural state, Paul was like a jackhammer. He was a a tool of destruction. And when you think about just how much knowledge he had and how much energy, seemingly, he had, I think a jackhammer is a pretty appropriate description. 
you don't use a jackhammer when you're putting up walls or you're, uh, you know, setting concrete. You don't use a jackhammer. You use a jackhammer when you're destroying concrete or when you're destroying stuff. You need a jackhammer. So he went from being a jackhammer in his natural state to now being like a power drill. Instead of taking things apart, he's being used by God to put things together. Instead of destructing, or sorry, not destructing, that's not the right word. Instead of destroying, there we go. Instead of destroying on his own power, he is now building by the power of God helping to lay a foundation for the church. The apostles are the foundation of the church and Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. So here he is as a tool in Jesus's hand because he was chosen by Jesus. I don't want you to to miss that going back to where I read that in verse 15 of Acts 9. Jesus tells Ananias, he is a chosen instrument of mine. Jesus chose him. That's why he was saved. And he's an instrument. That's his role. Specifically, to go on to bear the name of Jesus before the Gentiles and kings and Jews, the sons of Israel. That's the role he's going to play. Gentiles listed first, which is pretty interesting. Paul would later say he's the apostle to the Gentiles. He saw that as his role. He would go city to city and the Jews wouldn't listen to him. But the Gentiles, he found success among them. But not only them, but also kings, and that happens here in the book of Acts later on. And, of course, also the Jews. Paul would later write in Romans chapter 1 that the gospel is the power of God to salvation to those who believe, to the Jew first, and to the Greek, or the Gentile. So he would, of course, go to the Jews, not just the Gentiles, but he would have a special role in reaching Gentiles for Christ. Yet we see in this story, what I read through verse 22 earlier, we see in this story that he did go to the Jews. He was in the synagogues proclaiming Jesus. (laughs) Now, think of the level of irony here. It used to be that Paul, as a Jew, would be going to the synagogues speaking against Jesus if his name would come up, speaking against the way, as the Christians were called then. He was persecuting the way. He was speaking against the church. And now he's going back into the synagogues preaching Christ. And he's specifically saying he is the Son of God. That was his new message. He goes back to the same old audience, but with a new message. Jesus is the Son of God. And People were a bit confused, right? Verse 21, hey, isn't this the guy who was destroying those who were calling on this name? And he was coming here for the very purpose of continuing to persecute the church? That is quite confusing, of course. But that didn't deter Saul. He kept increasing in strength, and he was confounding the Jews who lived there at Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. And he was doing that from the scriptures. He knew his scriptures really well. He had now had this encounter with Jesus. He was making these connections in the scripture, and he was excited and passionate about sharing what the scriptures had to say about this Jesus, who is the Messiah. And he was proving it from the word of God. But let's keep reading. Verse 23, 
When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him, and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Very, very cool. So you have a couple of run-ins that Paul has with his former friends, Jews, who were seeking to harm him. They were wanting to put him to death. Once was in Damascus, and then once in Jerusalem. Not just were they disagreeing with him, not just were they confused about the whole situation, but they kind of tipped over here into the attitude of saying, no, we just got to kill him. He's just, we got to Got to take him out. That's going to be easiest. So he must have been speaking extremely boldly, wouldn't you say? If in two different cities and with the Jewish audience, this religious audience, that people wanted to put him to death, he must have been pretty bold, as it says, that he was speaking boldly over and over again. And it took many days uh, in Damascus. It says in verse 23, when many days had elapsed, elapsed. Wow, why can't I say that word? Elapsed. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. (laughs) To do away with, to put him to death. So they were probably thinking, well, maybe it's a fad. Maybe, you know, okay, he's excited about it now, but let's give it a few days. We'll talk some sense into him, yada, yada, yada. But when many days proved to not change anything, that he was still going to speak boldly about Jesus, well, they said... We just got to kill him. And so the disciples there in Damascus, I I love that part of the story, by night, so they're sneaking around, they let him down through an opening in the wall in a large basket. (laughs) I just, I love how the church has to do things. The church is always going to be scrappy. Uh, That is, true churches that clash with the culture a little bit, they're never going to be great in the world's eyes, and they're always just going to have to be scrappy. That's kind of the way it is, all right? Um, that's the way God designed it. The weak and the foolish of the world are here to shame the strong and the wise, according to God's wisdom and God's strength. And so they find a basket, and they say, here, here, get in this basket, and they lower him down at nighttime, and he sneaks off. So he goes to Jerusalem, and the first thing he tries to do in Jerusalem is get to know the disciples, because he's, a, of course, a believer, and he had friends in Damascus who were also believers. They were all Christians together. It was going well among the Christians, apparently, in Damascus. Yet when he comes to Jerusalem, they're freaked out. Even the apostles, they're like, uh, hey, this is that guy who was trying to kill us. Our due diligence here would be to vet what's going on. We're not just going to say, yeah, come on in. 
because next thing you know, uh, he is like a mole or something inside the church, and he's going to uh, bring in our sudden demise. Well, Barnabas steps up, a guy who had gotten to know Paul and had some cred with the apostles. Barnabas says, you know what? Actually, uh, Paul, here, let, let me go with you. And he presents Paul, still at this time, Saul. He uh, presents him to the apostles, and they're able to make this connection now, which is pretty interesting because Paul becomes, of course, an extremely prominent apostle. On this side of history, we look back and think, well, it's Paul and Peter and John and all these other guys, and they were all, you know, apostles. They got along. They are the foundation of the church, et cetera, et cetera. But at this time, this is a transition period, not just for the church as a whole. I mean, Acts is kind of this transition book a little bit, but it's a transition time for the apostles to recognize that Jesus Christ has chosen Saul to play a very special role in his program, in building his church. In real time here, they're having to examine and make a decision as to whether or not they're going to accept him or be scared. Are they going to believe that he's a disciple or not? So Barnabas plays a a really critical role here in helping them understand they need to accept Saul as a disciple and that Jesus is going to do big things in his life. And so uh, there, there Saul is in Jerusalem now at this point, after he's been accepted. I'm sure they were still a little cautious, as we all probably would be. But he's moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord, it says. And he's having, I'm sure, great conversations with the apostles, gaining more and more trust with them. And they're probably talking about what it was like when he was a Jew and persecuting the church. And they're probably having those awkward conversations, but learning about each other more and more. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, that means those Greek Jews who have Greek culture, but a a belief in Judaism, they practice Judaism, and they get really upset with him, and they're the ones who want to put him to death. And so when the apostles and the other believers in Jerusalem learned of that, they brought him down to Caesarea to send him away to Tarsus. And he was there for a number of years after that. But uh, look at what verse 31 says, the last verse I read, and let's look at that again. Through all of those events, it says, so, verse 31, so, the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace being built up. Now, you wouldn't exactly expect that, right? Because all these troubles they were having, all the struggle that was happening, these people making death threats to Saul, you would expect it to say, so the church really struggled. They were without their newest apostle, this one that Jesus chose as an instrument in his hand. Uh, It was just a real mess, and things were going very poorly. But that is not what it says, because we serve a big God who does things in ways that we wouldn't necessarily expect. In the middle of all this stuff, Paul going around speaking boldly, getting death threats, having to be sent away to Tarsus, the apostles being confused and getting to know him, et cetera, et cetera. Well, in the middle of all that, the church throughout all these regions, and these are big regions, Judea, Galilee, Samaria, they enjoyed peace, and they were built up. They were edified. They were encouraged. How cool is that? And they went on in two things. From that point, they were going on in 
Number one, the fear of the Lord. This is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the start of knowledge. And the second thing they were going on in, besides the fear of the Lord, is the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Wow. He has come to the church in this age. He's the comforter sent by Jesus because Jesus went away. He was able to send the Holy Spirit. The Father sent the Spirit in the Son's name. They sent the Spirit to the people of God, the comforter. And he brings comfort to God's people, even in the midst of all the craziness of the persecution. And you would also not expect this if you're thinking just like in your natural state with a fallen mind. The church continued to increase. Even though they were being persecuted, even though they were having to move apostles around because people were getting killed or they were getting death threats or whatever, and the culture hated them, they were constantly being tracked down and talked about, criticized, the church continued to increase. Isn't that so cool, what God does? And so uh, there you go. That's a very interesting look into the early church through the conversion and beginnings of the ministry of the Apostle Paul and what God was doing through him. But I want to bring this back around to what I was saying at the beginning, in that this may be a good reminder for you to embrace the ministry of Paul. Remember, Jesus said that he specifically chose Paul to be his instrument, to bear his name, to suffer for Jesus's namesake. So Jesus has big plans for the Apostle Paul, and that is preserved for us in the Bible. The ministry of Paul is preserved for us in the pages of Holy Scripture in these 13 letters that we have from, from Paul. And if you want to count Hebrews as being from Paul, you could do that too. So we're, we're getting ready to enter this time of studying the ministry of Paul, the teachings of Paul, as he was an instrument in Jesus' hand in building the church. I don't want you to approach those books of the Bible with skepticism and say, well, that's just Paul. we got to write it off because that's just Paul. In fact, this apostle would go on to write in one of his first letters, the first letter to the Corinthians, he would say, hey, if I give you a command, it's the Lord's command. It's not just me saying these things. It's Jesus speaking through me. So we must pay attention to Paul's ministry. We must submit to his apostleship because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit when he wrote Scripture. He's an authority. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. They were speaking on God's authority. So, so we submit to that, and we hear him out. We don't go to Paul and say, oh, I don't like that theology, or, oh, I don't like that instruction. Now, Paul, yeah, he got some stuff wrong. Really? Look at his life as Luke recorded in the book of Acts and what Luke documented that Ananias told him and that Barnabas told him about the Apostle Paul. You really think that you can just write that off? No, no, no. You have to embrace the teachings of Paul. And that's going to be very important when we get to this next book, the book of Romans, which again, we only have two lessons scheduled for that. I don't, I still don't know what I'm going to do for that. But when we get to the book of Romans, there are going to be a lot of places if you have a Latter-day Saint way of thinking that you're going to say, uh, that can't be right. Ooh, no, that's not it. I don't want to, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to embrace that. I don't want to accept that. Or you'll say, 
well, here's what he really meant, and then you'll put a spin on it that's just not there, and you'll you'll know in your heart of hearts that that's not there. And you're going to feel justified because it's just Paul. You can't feel justified in doing that because Paul was an apostle, a chosen instrument of Jesus, who was used to build the church uh, by writing Scripture. Okay? So that's what I wanted to put before you today. Thank you for joining me next week. I assume it's going to be chapters 10 to 14 or 15. I did not look at that ahead of time. We will get into that section of the book of Acts for some more fun stuff. Hope you have a great day. God bless.